0: You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. So I think we're in week number six of our series called Battle Ready. That's all about spiritual warfare. If you're new to this series, I would encourage you to get online, uh, go to YouTube, uh, hit times two so you can watch it on double time and watch the first five sermons. Because every single week, this series is building on itself. What we're doing is we're going verse by verse through Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verses 10 through 20. You know, the Bible explains the Christian life as many different things. In Hebrews chapter 12, it tells us that the Christian life is a race that we're to run. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it says the Christian life is like a boxing match. And then when we get to Ephesians chapter 6, Paul, like, doesn't mince any words and he says, No, the Christian life that you're living is a war. It is a spiritual war that is taking place. And what we're doing during this series is we're talking about the spiritual weapons and the spiritual armor that we have. I was thinking about this series and what we're talking about this week, and my mind took me back to a year ago at Christmas when one of my son's friends and one of my buddies um, got an Oculus virtual reality system. Does anybody know what that is, an Oculus virtual reality system? Some of you guys, if you're younger in here. This is what it looks like. We've got a picture for the screen. And uh, I slapped that thing on last year and had those goggles on my head, and I couldn't believe how real it was, y'all. I mean, it was like I was in the place. I think I rode a roller coaster. There was a war game I played. I thought I was getting shot. I would encourage you, get on YouTube, get on Instagram and Facebook and try to find the videos of typically they're older people, they're more seasoned people, we'll say that. They slap this thing on their head and they start screaming because they really think they're on a roller coaster because it's amazing how that virtual reality can make you think you're actually in whatever it is portraying. Well, during this series, what we've learned is Satan wants us to see what's happening through his own reality headset, if you will, and he wants us to interpret our reality through his false reality, I guess, if you will. What we're going to learn today when we look at the helmet of salvation is if your mind operates on the false reality that Satan displays, then your body Will function in a dysfunctional way, and in fact, the physical world around you will function in a dysfunctional way. Let's go to Ephesians chapter six, and let's kind of read where we've already been. Let's start in verse ten. Let's go to verse uh, sixteen, and then we're going to read verse seventeen that talks about where we're going to be today when we talk about the helmet of salvation. Y'all with me? Say I am. It says this in verse ten. Finally. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Reminder, we don't fight this spiritual war in our power. We fight it in Christ's mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Uh, Verse 11, reminder, a spiritual battle requires spiritual weapons. And that's what we've been talking about this whole series. Uh, In other words, we don't wage war as the world does. We've been given weapons. And we've been given defense systems to wage this war. Verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Just a reminder in verse 12. There is an invisible war taking place in the invisible realm. And everything that happens in the spiritual invisible realm controls Everything in the physical realm. This is what this verse is telling us. So everything in our lives is spiritual at its root, at its root. Everybody with me say I am. I am. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, because everybody's got days of evil coming, the day of evil is when the, the schemes of the enemy come to fruition, and everybody is gonna have that, no matter no matter who you are, no matter what your background is, no matter if you're saved, unsaved, it's coming so that you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand stand firm then with the belt of truth locked around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with the feet with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace now this is the first category these first 3 pieces of armor where there's two categories this first one Paul tells us that we're to have these. In other words, we never take them off. We always have them with us. Now he's getting ready to talk about the ones that we take up. He uses a different phrase, take up. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And then verse 17, and I really believe in my mind at least today is going to come together so beautifully when when we talk about all the previous pieces of armor, especially by the end of the sermon today. Hopefully this will make sense. Take the helmet of salvation. When we talk about salvation and we define this before we get into the functionality of the helmet of salvation and how we apply it, what what we mean when we say salvation is the term save that we use, especially in the South and in America. Your salvation is when you get saved. And for the purposes of the sermon today, I understand that there's one side of salvation, especially in the church in America, where a lot of people think they're saved in the church, but they're deceived and they're not saved. I'm not talking to that today. I'm talking to the people today that really have put their trust in Christ. They've surrendered everything to Him, and by faith, they have Gotten saved, and I mean really saved. When it comes to salvation, allow me to do some theological teaching for about 10 minutes here and try to make this as clear as I can because there's three parts or phases to being saved that I'm going to try to unpack in several different ways. The three parts of the process or Steps to completion, I guess, if you will, is number one, what's called justification. That's the theological term. These are going to be big words, but we got them for the screen. You can take a picture of them, and then I'm going to explain it a totally different way here in a second. Justification means that you are free from the penalty of sin. Justification happens, and it's the first step of salvation when you first accept Christ. The moment that you put your trust in Christ and the Holy Spirit convicts you and you confess your sins and say, Jesus, I need you in my life, whatever that looks like, you are justified. Now, understand this. This could get a little confusing, and I'm going to say this several different ways. But the moment you are saved, the moment you are justified and and do the first step of this process, you receive all the salvation you will ever need. In other words, you receive all the salvation you will ever need in order to get to heaven when you are justified. The second part of this process or this phase is known as sanctification. Sanctification happens the time between you're saved and the time you die. It's that that space of time where you're on this earth, you've been saved, but you're not dead yet. And the idea is you're free from the power of sin. You're no longer a slave to sin, in other words, and you're becoming more like Jesus. The third part of the salvation process is what's known as glorification. Glorification means that you will be free from the presence of sin one day when you go to heaven to be with Jesus. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Here's the big idea. Salvation has happened to you when you were justified. It is happening to you as you become more like Christ in this life and you are being sanctified. And it will happen to you one day when you're dead or Jesus comes back and you go to heaven and you are glorified. Now, let me explain this to you in a different way that may help it click. Jesus was quoted as saying when they asked him, What's the greatest of all the commands? He said, love the Lord your God with all your, y'all know this, right? Your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And then he also said, added on to that, love others as you love yourself. Well, in the first part of this commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, what Jesus is really talking about is the phases of salvation. Okay, Now, when I explain these, don't think that someone is more saved than someone else. Think of it like a timeline. Okay, there's phases to it. So it's not that so and so's more saved than me. We're, we're equal amounts saved. It's just they may be further along in the process, so to speak. But what he was talking about when he talked about the process of salvation is he was really unpacking the three different parts of man that we have that need to be saved as a part of this process. Now, as I explained this, we could have some theological differences on this. There's some people that think there's only two parts to man. Some people think there's three parts. We could debate about what to call it and different things like that. That's not important. What's important is how it applies to our salvation. When Jesus talks about the heart, soul, mind, and spirit, he's talking about the fact that your spirit is really referred to in Scripture as your heart, and it gets saved first. Then your soul, which is referred to in Scripture as your mind, is being sanctified and gets saved. And then your body, which is your flesh, gets saved. We've got a graphic, if a visual will help you, if you guys could put that graphic up. So you are three parts. Every person in here has three parts to them. You've got your mind, which I refer to as your soul. Your mind, your spirit, which in Scripture is referred to as your heart. And then you've got your body, which is your flesh. When you are justified and you first get saved, what happens is your spirit is renewed and your spirit gets saved when you accept Christ. Listen to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Your mind then, the salvation you have in your spirit needs to transfer to your mind because your mind gets saved when you're sanctified and you're becoming more like Christ. Listen to Romans chapter 12. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We'll quote that a couple times today. Your mind is being renewed while you're in this life. From the time you get saved till the time you die and you go to heaven, your mind is being renewed. The idea is really Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, where, where Paul says you're to work out your salvation daily with fear and trembling. Well, Paul wasn't saying every day, depending on what you do, depends on whether or not you're saved, work it out with trembling. No, he's talking about sanctification, the process where you're becoming more like Jesus, Well, thirdly, is your body. And your body gets saved when it is glorified and goes through the glorification process, the the final complete stage of the salvation process when you go to heaven and you're given a new body. Romans chapter 8, verse 23. In the NLT, listen to this. And we believers also groan. In other words, Living in this world is not easy. We groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us. In other words, you're saved. You've been justified. The Holy Spirit is in you as a foretaste of, and listen to this phrase, future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. You're still sinning. You're still suffering in your flesh and in your body. We, too, wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Romans chapter 13, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. What was Paul saying? You know, you're not saved now. It's near. No, he's like, you're saved, but the third part of this process is closer. You're closer to death. You're closer to going to heaven. Your salvation is closer to being completed in its final form, I guess, if you will, so to speak. Here's the idea. Let me rephrase this. You receive salvation in its first phase when you are justified. You are receiving salvation in its second phase through sanctification. You will receive salvation in its final phase, through glorification when you go to heaven. So let me say this about your body. Your body is your flesh, and just to reiterate something we talked about in week number one of this series is, you're constantly going to struggle in your flesh until you go to heaven, which means you're always going to sin. You're always going to have temptations. You're always going to struggle in your flesh. And so if I could say something I said in week number one, When it comes to spiritual warfare, don't you dare blame spiritual warfare or blame God for something stupid that you do in the flesh. Make sense to everybody? Say amen. Amen. Okay, I, I grabbed my kid's arm the other day, and I was going like this. I was making them hit themselves. You know what I mean, if you've ever done that? And I started saying, stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. I don't know what movie that's from, but stop hitting yourself. Stop. That's the idea. Our flesh causes us to hit ourselves. And so when you're hitting yourself... Don't say, the devil made me do it. It's spiritual warfare. And don't you dare blame God because you do something stupid. Our body's weak. Our flesh is weak. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. Paul says this, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, this is Paul saying this, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. The Berean literal Bible says I batter my body and bring it into servitude. Why? Because we're weak in our flesh. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, let me make a couple of clarifying statements just so you're not confused on something, okay? Number one, let me say this. You are never more saved than you are the day that you accept Christ and you are justified, okay? Your salvation is complete at step one. But once step one is done, step two and three are guaranteed. Does that make sense to everybody? You're guaranteed to become more like Christ if you so choose. You're guaranteed that one day when you go to heaven, you'll go through the glorification process. In other words, salvation that happens in your spirit has to transfer from your spirit to your mind while it's being renewed in this life and then eventually it is transferred to your body when you go to heaven one day. Let me say it different, okay? Your spirit gets saved first, then your mind gets saved, then your body gets saved. Now, again, let me reiterate this. The sanctification process is proof that the justification process actually happens. So when you're justified and you get saved, there is a change that takes place in your life. But I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that today. I'm going to talk to the people in here that absolutely are saved. So here's how we put the helmet of salvation on. We put the helmet of salvation on when we have assurance and know that we are going to one day have a completion of our salvation. You're going to hear the word hope a lot today. Hope a lot. Hope a lot. Now when it comes to the helmet of salvation, it's pretty simple what it does, kind of like we talked about with the shield. It deflects blows to the head, right? And it offers protection. But the helmet of salvation for a Roman soldier also did a couple other things that we're going to talk about today. Number one, the helmet of salvation gives identity. It gives identity. Everybody say identity. Okay, Did I say that weird identity. Okay, everybody say identity. Identity, yeah, there we go. Is that better? Okay, identity for a Roman soldier, the helmet of salvation offered protection. But you see, this mohawk, and on different helmets, there would be different things that would be connected to it that would hang down. Well, that in the middle of a battle or a war identified which army you were fighting for, and it also identified what your rank was in that army. So it offered identity. You know, helmets come in many different shapes and many different sizes, but based on the helmet that you wear, it absolutely identifies what you're doing or what you do, right? If I was to show you guys this helmet, this is a what, y'all? This is a bicycle helmet, okay? It's not that hard. And if somebody's wearing that, they're probably riding a bike. This is my son's. He's got the Bucky stickers all over it because we love Bucky's. And this is a skateboarding helmet. And if you put this on, you're most likely going to be riding a skateboard somewhere or a longboard. This right here, which, what's this, y'all? This is a, a construction hat right this is a construction helmet I guess if you will Uh, this right here is a actually a real SWAT team helmet again shout out to the sheriff's department in Crossville giving us all the stuff we needed for this series and uh, if you've got this thing on it probably identifies you in a certain way and things are getting ready to go down you know what I'm saying they're getting ready to bust in somebody's house this thing is all dinged up but it offered that protection but identifies you on the SWAT team some of you guys are going to know this helmet Uh, Maybe from a previous life, hopefully not now, but this we're not here. Anybody know what that is? Um, This is a, what? This is a, not a beer helmet, soda. Who said beer? Sinners. Golly, man. You put soda in this. We're in the South, people. You can dip, but you can't drink, okay? so Smoking's okay, but don't drink. <laughs> if we were in California, that's where you drink and you don't dip. All right, y'all? So, it identifies you, right? Stone Memorial, shout out to them and CCHS. They helped us out this week. This is a Stone Memorial football helmet and a CCHS football helmet. Every single year, Stone and CCHS play the two high schools in Cumberland County, right? Let me ask you a question. If a Stone player walked out onto the field, their full uniform on, with one exception, they were wearing a CCHS helmet. How weird would that be? If, If a CCHS player wore their full gear, except one exception, they wore a Stone helmet, how unusual would that be? Very unusual. Because above everything else a football players wear on their uniform. Yeah, yeah, the pants identify them and, and the shirt identifies them and, and their jersey, right? But the main thing that identifies them is their helmet. This is why this year, UT football. You know? All the different colors. Oh, we're going blackout. We're going dark mode. We're doing new orange. And there was such a debate. Like some people are like, I don't like it. I want the traditional white with a power T on the side and orange. And other people are like, I love the black. Why? Because a helmet offers identification. And the most important thing that identifies you, whether playing football or in a spiritual war, is your helmet. Helmet so the helmet of salvation identifies us simply put your identity is in your salvation your identity is in Christ and the fact that he saved you your identity is in the insurance the assurance of a completion of your salvation Listen to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Listen to this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. See, the plague of the American church today in this lukewarm Christianity is many people, many people walk around and they don't even get past the first phase of salvation to start becoming more like Christ and looking forward to the hope of salvation in the future because what they do is they constantly question am I really saved they say a salvation prayer 10 times at altar calls they get baptized 5 different times in their life because they really they just question over and over people who do not have an assurance of their salvation, stand in the middle of a battle, unconfident and quite honestly, unsure which team they're even playing for. It offers identity. See, so many of us struggle with a version of the original lie In the Garden of Eden, when Satan looked at Eve and said, did God really say not to eat from that tree? But our version is, did God really say you're saved? Did you really accept Christ? Did God really say that you're going to go to heaven one day? We put the helmet on when we have confidence in a full, final completion of salvation listen to 1st Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 8 but since we belong to the day let us be sober putting on faith and love as a breastplate and listen to this and the hope of salvation as a helmet paul wasn't saying we're hoping that we get saved one day maybe when we die god'll say well you got enough good works you go to heaven but if you don't you're going no he's talking about glorification the completion of the process, the third phase, the hope of salvation that we will be in heaven one day. Let me say this to you. Without confidence in your salvation, you are going to constantly struggle in your mind over and over and over. You know, there's a reason why Christianity stands alone in the fact that we believe in being saved by grace. Every other major religion in the world, I don't care what it is, every other major religion teaches salvation through works or that you can lose your salvation. And what that creates is one of two things. One, you serve God and you hope you're saved through fear and through trembling because one day he's going to judge me and I hope I do enough good stuff. Or secondly, you say to heck with it. May as well experience everything I can experience in the flesh because I'm not saved anyway. Biblical Christianity teaches that we are saved by grace. It's by nothing you do, and it's by everything Jesus has done. You're saved through grace alone, by faith alone. And the idea is... We are not looking forward to the day we die going, oh gosh, there's a big scary guy up there that's going to tell me whether I'm going to heaven or not. No, the idea is we are adopted into his family and we have a loving father in heaven that will never leave us or forsake us no matter what we do. Listen, it's no no wonder you're struggling if you don't even know you're saved. No wonder you can't break a porn addiction. No wonder you can't forgive somebody that's done you wrong. You're stuck in the first phase trying to kind of work that out. You haven't been sanctified yet. You're not becoming more like Jesus. It's no wonder you have hate in your heart. You don't even have confidence that you know Christ. Chuck Swindoll puts it this way. Satan would like nothing better than to aim his arrows at our minds. Convincing us that we don't really belong to Christ, that we aren't eternally saved. He would love to rob us of the hope of our resurrection, our glorification, and our eternal home in heaven. Let me give you some advice. Stop dissecting your justification and your salvation. Stop over-intellectualizing it. Stop over-psychologizing it, if that's even a word. Don't add conditions to your salvation, like good works. Oh, I got to be baptized to be saved. Oh, I didn't go to an altar call, so does that really mean I'm saved? Don't add those conditions. Oh, I've never spoken in tongues. Does that mean I'm saved? Don't add those conditions. Keep very short accounts with God when you sin. Don't let your imperfection in this life rob you of your assurance and cause you to take off your helmet of salvation and your mind to go crazy. I promise you this, the more you look into your own life, the more depressed you're going to be. So the Bible tells us instead, let's focus on Jesus. Let's focus on his finished work on the cross. And then we will have assurance. If I could speak to the more seasoned saints in here. You're closer to death. Done a lot of ministry to a lot of people. They're close to the end of their lives. And it seems like one of the arrows that Satan loves to throw at your head is, you got about five years left if you're lucky. Some of y'all like, you're like, man, I don't even know if I'm gonna make it another year. I'm gonna die soon. And he causes this fear to come up in your heart because you start questioning, do I really know Jesus? Do I really know God? Listen, you have assurance that you can look forward. See, we're different. We look forward to death. It's like, death, where is your sting? Oh, man, I can't wait. I look, Paul says, I look forward to the day of completion, the day that I died. We're different. So rest assured, senior saints, if you put your trust in Christ, you're going to heaven. You lost somebody this year? And the devil's throwing those arrows. You going to see him again one day? Did they really know Jesus? They messed up a lot, lived in the flesh a lot, especially if you knew him real well, right? You know how how crazy they were. And they knew how crazy you were. And you start to go, man, am I really going to see him? I lost my mom. I lost my dad. I lost my wife. I lost my husband. I lost a, a sibling of mine. I lost a friend of mine. They're dead. Am I going to see him one day? Well, rest assured, if they put their trust in Christ, you will be reunited one day. You had a miscarriage and you lost a child? hey. <laughs> I got good news for you. You're going to see him again one day. Amen, Riff Church. This is our hope. You don't have to worry about salvation. Listen to Romans chapter 8. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can try to walk away from him, but he's not walking away from you. Isn't that good news, Rev Church? You are saved. You will never be unsaved. You did come to Christ. This is who you are. Stop coming down with spiritual Alzheimer's and forgetting what happened the day you got saved and you were justified. The day... You broke, you recognized how messy you were, and you knew you couldn't get it right, and you put your trust in Christ. See, when you have your identity in place is when your helmet offers you protection from the crushing blows of the enemy in your mind. I was blessed to be able to have coffee with a veteran in the military this week, and uh, he has a ministry where he works with uh, former vets. And if you didn't know this, you need to know this, uh, veterans have some of the highest suicide rates in the world. And he made a statement that was very powerful that went something like this You know, when somebody has been in the military for 10 or 20 years and they take that uniform off, within a year, a lot of them kill themselves because they don't know where their identity is. Their identity was in being a soldier. And when they take that uniform off, they don't know what they're supposed to do anymore. They don't know who they are. They don't even know how to function in a regular society. And boy, that's true for us in so many ways. Listen, if, if your identity is in your physical attributes, I look so good, or I'm so strong, listen to me, y'all. Father time is undefeated. One day you're going to be wrinkly, you're going to be weak. Somebody's going to be wiping your rear end and it ain't going to be pretty. Is everybody with me? So you better know where your identity is in. If your identity is in your finances, all the money you've made, you're going to find one of two things. Number one, you're either going to lose it, or one day you're going to wake up and go, that money doesn't mean nothing. Gosh, that's so empty. And you're going to be a wreck because you're going to realize, I don't really have an identity. It needs to be in Christ. Your identity is in success that you've had in your particular field or your area of work. I hate to tell you, one day you're going to be irrelevant. One day you're not even going to be here. And the book of Ecclesiastes says nobody's even going to remember your name one day. So you better know where your identity is. Crossville, small town, right? We got people that are 50 years old now. And their identity is still in being a cheerleader when they were in high school. Or playing football in high school, y'all know what I'm saying? Am I right? They get out of high school, they lose their identity. They don't know what it is in, and so they try to. They, they act like they're in high school their whole life, and you're just like, "Grow up, man!" Because they don't know what their identity is. It's not in anything sustainable. Your identity's in a relationship, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Well, what are you going to do when you break up? Your identity is is in being a parent. You know, the second highest divorce rate among married couples is couples that have been married about 20 years. You know why? Because 20 years is around the time that the kids move out of the house. you got a husband and a wife that sit across the kitchen table and look at each other, and they go, Well, for the last 20 years, it's been all about the kids. We've ran them to practice. We've done travel ball. Everything's been about them, and now we're looking at each other, and we don't know who we are, much less who you are, and it doesn't work anymore. You better know where your identity Hey, for me, I gotta be real careful, man. I cannot find my identity in the size of my church or my preaching. Because I'm not gonna be pastor in a church one day. One day I'm gonna be irrelevant as a preacher. I've got to know where my identity is, and it better be in Christ. Make sense to everybody? Say amen. amen. Number two, the helmet keeps you, and I gotta give props to Matt, who's our groups coordinator. He helped me with this point. Your helmet, this is the second thing it does, it keeps you focused. It keeps you focused. Uh, There was a movie called 300 that came out about 15 or 20 years ago where King Leonidas is trying to prove that King Xerxes can bleed. Xerxes said he was a god. It's kind of interesting if you go back and watch it and then read the stories of the Bible about Xerxes and stuff. But um, he's standing in front of Xerxes, and if you've seen the movie, you know that there's somebody talking in the background, and they say he drops his shield because it's too Too heavy, he can't throw the spear good. He gets rid of his cape so it doesn't tangle up in his spear. And then it says this about the helmet. He takes his helmet off so he can see clearly and see better. He throws the spear at him as a result and makes him bleed. See, a Roman helmet was designed specifically to essentially block out your peripheral vision and give you just enough to see where you could stay focused on the enemy that is right in front of you. To liken it to football, it's like my offensive line coach used to say, don't worry about everybody on the field, just worry about blocking who's in front of you. So for a Roman soldier, even though there's thousands of people losing arms and dying and blood flying everywhere and people all around them, there's a war going on all around them, they're focused intently on what is right in front of them. This is what the helmet of salvation does for us. It protects our minds when there is a war raging around us. And you're dealing with depression. And you've got kids that are lost and they're addicted. And you got a report from the doctor saying this. You stay focused on what God has called you to do. You stay focused on the Father's business, so to speak. You stay focused on the kingdom of God. See, your life follows your strongest thoughts. Everything you think up here controls everything in your body and everything that you do. What you're focused on mentally is what you will do physically. One person said, as a man thinks, so he is. In the Bible, it says this in Romans chapter 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. We've already read this, but let me read it again. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. This is why in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, Paul said this, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. You remember in week one, we talked about the seven ways the enemy is going to try to scheme against you. What Paul's saying is, we take those seven things captive when they enter our minds. Those schemes of distraction, discouragement, discontentment, division, doubt, deception, that all lead to destruction. See, believe it or not, there's a right way to think which is God's way, and there is a wrong way to think, which is any way besides God's way, whether it's the world, whether it's your flesh, whatever it is. The right way is God's way. The wrong way is any other way. Now, we know this is true with all kinds of things in life. There's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. For instance, when it comes to cheering for college football, there's a right way to do it. Here's the right way right here. You guys put that one up. That's the right way to do it. Amen, y'all? But you need to know this. There's a wrong way to do it too. Show them the wrong way, y'all. This is the wrong way. (laughs) Now let me review a couple things with you. These are very important spiritual truths that you need to know, okay? There's a right way to do pizza. Show them the right way. This is New York City cheese pizza. This is the right way, okay? But there is a wrong way. Just a reminder, okay? Pineapple on pizza, that's the wrong way, you need to get justified if you put pineapple on your pizza. We're praying you get saved and set free, people. I'm just kidding. Don't email me, okay? How about this one? We've talked about this before. Right way, wrong way. How about it? Hmm. Boy, we got some strong opinions on this. Woo! How many people say... Over here's the right way. Raise your hand. Anybody over here? Yeah, we got some people that like to stir it up a little, don't you? You like to make people mad? Woo! I mean, y'all say this is the right way over here. Yeah, how many of y'all don't care like me? Raise your hand. Okay, the, Yeah, you, you more important things in life, right? Like, there's a right way and there is a wrong way when it comes to your thinking and then resulting in the things that you do in your life. There's a right way God wants you to do things, and there's a wrong way. And here's the idea. God doesn't want to control you. He gives everyone in here free will. He wants you to find freedom. And God's way of doing things and thinking about things leads to freedom. If you remember last week, this is how this connects to the shield of faith. We said the shield of faith, one of the points was, we used that scripture in Romans chapter 10, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. And we said, The things you listen to are either depositing faith into your life, specifically the Word of God, when you hear sermons and sing songs and and all these things. When you hear them, they're depositing faith into your life and giving endurance to your faith. But when you listen to the world's things and wrong things, it deposits doubt into your life. So don't miss this. If you're not listening to the right things and you're listening to the wrong things, it allows demonic thoughts into your mind secondly don't just listen to the right things and not listen to the wrong things you got to make sure you're listening to the right people not the wrong people specifically the people that knew who you used to be when your identity was in something else and not in Christ if that makes sense You've got to get around people who know who you are now. More importantly, whose you are so that you're building faith in your life and keeping your helmet of salvation on. When I first got saved, one of the best things that happened to me, I lived in Knoxville, Tennessee. Two months after I got saved, I moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee to go to college. And when I moved, I left all my friends from Knoxville. And I went down to Chattanooga. And my best friends essentially became my dad and my stepmom, who were like 20 or 30 years older than me. To the world, I was a loser. I didn't go out, I didn't do anything. But the thing was, my dad and stepmom knew who I was. When I would go back to Knoxville and hang out with all my old friends, they referred to me as I used to be. They knew who I used to be. They still called me keg boy. Does this make sense? You know what I mean? That's how bad it was. And so I had to get around some people that were depositing faith into my life, not doubt into my life, that were referring to me as I am now, the new creation I am now, not who I used to be before I knew Christ, if that makes sense. Rev. Church, don't ever let anyone label you with a previous label you had in your life. Don't ever let them identify you as what you used to be. You make sure your identity is who you are now. Jesus constantly through the Gospels renamed people. Remember Simon who becomes Peter? Simon means snub-nosed. Jesus renames him Peter the rock. Now you're not snub-nosed anymore. You're the rock. You're going to be so committed to me that you're going to be crucified upside down. You're going to be willing to die for your faith. He renames Matthew the tax collector. He He doesn't label them off of what they used to be. He knows who they are now. See, failure is an event. It is not a person. My kids got caught lying one time and uh, in their school, and it was a big lie. It was bad. You know, pastor's kids aren't perfect. How many of y'all know that? Say amen, okay? If you know my kids, you know that's true, and so um, they got caught lying, and we were mad. I mean, we could have killed them. You know what I mean? Like, we could have just wore them out, and I remember I was getting ready to talk to them about what they've done, And I've used this several times, and I was reminded of something Pastor Chris Hodges said uh, when he was preaching a sermon one time, who's the pastor of Church of the Highlands. And I thought to myself, you know, I need to handle this right. I can't deal with this in my emotions. I've got to calm down and deal with this the way God wants me to. And I sat my kids down, and I looked at them, and I said, I know what you did, but what you did is not who you are. I know exactly what you did, and we're going to deal with that. You're going to be punished. We're going to handle this. But this does not define who you are. That's the idea when it comes to salvation. Some of you have got some things in your past that you've done that haunt you every day. And the enemy's throwing those arrows at your mind, questioning, do I know Christ? Am I good enough? Am I good enough? He knows what you did. But it's not who you are because you've accepted Christ. We've said this before in our sermons, at, if I critic, I think Pastor Craig Groeschel says, Satan knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. Jesus knows your sin all too well, but he decides to call you by your name. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, very familiar passage, or scripture. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Everybody say, the new is here. Y'all are real confident, man. Come on now. Let's do that on the count of three like we mean it. One, two, three. The new is here. see, the world says, my name's Josh. I'm an alcoholic. Blah, blah, blah. Nuh-uh. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm an overcomer through Christ. My name's so-and-so. I'm just an addict. No, you're not. No, hey, I get it. You may struggle with those things still. I'm not saying that you'll never struggle again, but you are an overcomer through Christ. My name's so-and-so. I struggle with this. My name's so this is what defines me. I've got this disease that can't be cured. That's bull crap, y'all, okay? Some of y'all went, oh. he said, bull crap. Oh. Come on, y'all. Come on. It blows my mind how in church people freak out and then they go home and watch TV shows with way worse stuff. You know what I mean? It's like, come on, man, can we be real for a minute? You are not defined by what you did or what you used to be. You are defined by who Jesus is and what he did for you. You're not who you're going to be one day. Not if you're still breathing in this world. One day you're going to have a perfect body. You're going to be in a perfect place. So you're not who you're going to be. You haven't been through glorification yet. But because you've been justified, you're not who you were, Rev Church. You're not who you were. And... Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9, it sums it up. And I'm almost done. Y'all still with me? Say, I am. And and when I read this this week, I quickly realized, wow, these two verses of Scripture, Philippians 4, 8 through 9, contain the entire armor of God, the whole thing. So as I read through this, I'm going to point out to you how the, the helmet of salvation is connected to every, it's really what everything else flows from. From the top down, no pun intended, right? Listen to what it says. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, well, there's our belt of truth, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Breastplate of righteousness, we define that as being right with God and living right. Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think, there's the helmet of salvation, about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or, remember the shield of faith? Faith comes through hearing. hearing. Whatever you have received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, And check this out. Look what's waiting on us, the shoes of peace. And the God of peace will be with you. And by the way, uh, that is the sword of the Spirit because that is Scripture and that is God's Word. Every piece of armor connected to the helmet of salvation. I'll close with this. I was listening to Pastor Tony Evans talk about the helmet of salvation. And he talked about how in the United States when the slaves were emancipated, you know, back then they didn't have Twitter They didn't have the interwebs and all that stuff. They didn't even have telephones back then. Everything was through word of mouth and telegrams and Morse code and all these different things. But slaves were emancipated. They were set free. And in some cases, it took months, even years, for slaves to find out that they had actually been free since the day they said that they were emancipated. See, They thought they were still slaves because they hadn't gotten the truth that they were free yet. And it's the same thing that happens to Christians all over the world today. Jesus said, I came to set the captives free. You're not a slave anymore, Rev. Church. You are free. Jesus wants you to be free indeed think like it, put your helmet of salvation on and then live like it. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. we thank you for every single person that is here. Thank you so much for the armor of God. It's so practical. I pray for those people in here that have struggled for a long time, whether or not they know you. Maybe there's been judgmental Christians in their life that have looked at them and said, well you messed up, you need to get resaved or whatever. God I pray today, That every person that really knows you at Rev. Church has assurance in their faith. And they can move on into phase two of the process and start to be sanctified. And look forward, look forward to the hope that we have. That one day we're going to be in glory as we call it. We're going to be glorified with a new body. That death cannot stain. We are going to be more alive than we have ever been when we die. And go to heaven to be with you. We love you, Lord. You are awesome. In Jesus' name, all God's people said. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.